everybody, and uh, a really warm welcome to Hillhead at the Grosvenor. It's good to have one or two visitors this morning and one or two folk back with us who've been away either on holiday or because you've been unwell. We do hope that you'll enjoy your time with us and everything you need to follow the service is on the printed sheet that you were given as you came in and will appear on the screen as well. Today, the creche and Sunday school are in the foyer of the Grosvenor Suite, which is a fair hike, so small people, you're going to have a long walk, but it's straight along the corridor, straight through the terrace lounge to the end, and um, the leaders know where they're going to take you. Uh, but you probably need a couple of minutes to get there, so just be warned. And of course, everybody is very welcome to stay and have a cup of tea or coffee after the service, which is in the usual place, just that way, out of the door. At 7 o'clock this evening, worship will be held in Wellington Church and will be led by Rebecca Gebauer. And everybody is very welcome to go along to that as well. Family no news, um, the reason that I'm standing doing the notices is because obviously Anne's not here today. Anne is recovering following her recent dental surgery. An advance notice, as many of you will be aware, and if you're not, I'm just going to tell you, the Baptist Union of Scotland is celebrating its 150th anniversary this year. And the Northwest Glasgow Baptist Churches, of which we are one, are holding a special anniversary service in Bears Den Baptist Church on Friday the 4th of October at 7.30. The service will last about an hour and will focus on giving thanks for the past celebrating the present and looking forward to the future. And it will, as in all good Baptist things, be followed by tea and a biscuit. So that's Friday the 4th of October, 7.30 at Bears Den Baptist Church. Um, you may have noticed at the back on the table there are various pieces of paper. The green one is the new prayer diary, so if you would like a copy of the new prayer diary, please do take one before you go. Also, those who were at the church meeting last week will recall that we want to try introducing the idea of the year's mind, where at the monthly communion service, we will pause briefly to remember people who have gone ahead of us into the promises of God. This isn't a, an opportunity to write down everybody you can ever think of. Um, it's, the idea is it's our, our family, our church family. But obviously, if there's somebody close to you that you really want to remember, that's, that's totally fine. And if you just find the right month and write down the name, that would be really helpful. Please be aware that I will be on leave starting tomorrow, and I will be away until Tuesday, the 1st of October, at about midnight. <laughs> so don't try catching hold of me on week on Tuesday, because I won't be around. Next Sunday at 11am, our morning worship will be led by Lena here in the hotel, along with Dr. Parush Parashev, who is the Vice-Rector of the International Baptist Theological Seminary Centre in Amsterdam. And it's a real privilege to have Dr. Parashev with us, so if you possibly can get along next weekend, please do. And then next Sunday at 7 o'clock, Glenda White will lead the evening worship in Wellington Church. These are all our notices. Our call to worship this morning comes from Matthew chapter 5. Jesus said, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. He also said, when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. Today, we continue our exploration of the St. Magnus Way themes, and the focus is on forgiveness. Forgiveness of and by others, of and by ourselves. And all of that is done within the grace of God, whose offer as forgiveness is unending. And so we're going to pick up some of that in our first hymn as we join together. Lead us, Heavenly Father, lead us, or the world's tempestuous sea. And if you're able to stand, you're invited to do so as we sing. 
Our prayer of approach this morning comes from a book called Prayers of the People, which is a collection of prayers written by Baptists in the United Kingdom. And after I've guided us in prayer, we will join together in the Lord's Prayer, as usual, in our own preferred language and our own preferred version, whatever feels most normal and natural. So let's pray together. Our Lord and our God, it is our joy and our desire to praise and magnify, worship and glorify you. To lift your name above all the things we have considered important, to honour and exalt you. Today, we would love, serve and please you. But who are we that any of these things would be acceptable to you? We are sinners and fools. We fail you with every breath and yet feel good about ourselves with every good deed. We are broken and sinful people who desire to know you better and never fail you. Therefore, we ask to be forgiven through your grace and touched by your spirit, that we may have eyes to see others as you do. Have your heart that we might love others as you do and be vulnerable with you, having you in the innermost places of our hearts, radiating out your love into all of life and withholding nothing from you. We seek your voice, your glory and your presence. May we do your will and dwell always within it. May we know your heart and make your desires our desires. May we be shaped by you, employed by you, and at one with you. We are your servants. Do with us as you will. Guide us where you want. Only do not leave us where we are. Tighten your embrace, Lord, that we may know your closeness. For we are nothing without you. And as Jesus taught his followers, so we pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. <coughs> Oh, 
been privileged today to welcome Graham to guide us through this next part of the service. Over to you, Graham. Before paper. We've had paper for a long time and in some other countries much longer than we have. But uh, what was there before paper to, to write on? Slate. Slate, oh yes. Yes, I suppose so, if you had letters and so on. What I was thinking of was parchment and then before that something of which I have a sample here. This is a quarter of a tablet and it's probably about 4,000 years old. And it came from a place that we know pretty well if we know anything of the Bible. Shortest word, yes. Uh, it, there are three things to look at. First of all, the surface is not smooth, it's pitted because this was laid on straw to bake in the sun. Secondly, look for the margin just crudely uh, right there. But the most fascinating of all, and I can't translate it even if I speak languages, <laughs> is get the light on it and you'll see there are four part lines of um, hieroglyphics or cuneiform script. Um, that came from the ziggurat at Ur. Funny word, so if you can read it even from the back, the ziggurat, not forgetting behind me here. And I'll leave this on the table at the end so you can see it. That's the best I can get of a picture of a ziggurat. It's like different levels, and each level is a bit further in than the other. So you get a sort of temple or whatever at the, at the very top. <clears throat> and uh, yes, they uh, had to keep important records. They might be government policies, they might be commercial contracts and all sorts of things. Anything that had to be kept um, was on these. I, I did leave out one stage, uh, papyrus I should have mentioned, because widely used for hundreds of years was a sort of paper made of reeds, tall reeds that grow in certain parts of the Middle East and pressed together. So papyrus I was forgetting. Uh, how do I come to have that? Oh. Well, um, it came from the place where Abram started his long, long walk journey with the family and friends. Shortest place name in the Bible, I think, Ur, you are often known as Ur of the Chaldees. Uh, and during this recent war, Second World recent Second World War, um, my father-in-law came from rescue at Dunkirk, and after leave at home was put on a troop ship to go out to Singapore. He was on that troop ship in February 1942 when Singapore was um, captured by the, the Japanese. And so the troop ship turned around and brought him back to the Middle East where he spent the rest of the war. He was a chaplain in the forces and so most of his work was in hospitals in the Middle East and he loved being able to take some of the soldiers who were fit enough to travel a bit to take them around some of the sites of the Holy Land. He had been so often to see 
Ur and the Ziggurat that on his last visit he was allowed to bring home in his kit bag, I suppose, two things like that. One, well, during the war, when you hadn't much fuel to burn, you sometimes put a brick in the side of your fireplace. And unfortunately, these two bricks that he took the trouble to lug back from the Middle East uh, were put too near the fireplace. And someone who didn't understand put them in to reduce the size of the fire. And one of them was too badly damaged, burnt by that. But that's the other one. So three things to look for. The straw on which it was baked. I don't know how long they had to bake them. The margin lines that were just crudely drawn with a stylus. It used to be a, usually a bone that they actually wrote when the clay was soft enough to write on before it hardened in the sun. They used to use usually a, a bone stylus. And then the three, four half lines of cuneiform writing. And yes, that's about 4,000 years old. I'll leave it here so you can come and see it afterwards. Thank you very much, Graham. And that, that does, I think, that connects a little bit with where we were last week, wasn't it, when we were thinking about change and continuity. And we, we very briefly looked at some photos of the standing stones on Orkney, the, the Ring of Brodgar, which is now thought to be older than Stonehenge. So this, this God who is with us in all, all of this great long story of, of history is truly amazing. Um, we're going to sing a deeply theological song. This is um, the, the theologian Jürgen Moltmann, when asked to sum up his theology, said, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. So if it's good enough for Jürgen Moltmann, then it's good enough for us. Um, it's a kind of a composite version. There are so many versions of this out there. So um, I've put a few together. Thanks, Paul. Thank you. 
Our first reading is Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you alone, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified in your sentence and blameless when you pass judgment. Indeed, I was born guilty, a sinner when my mother conceived me. You desire truth in the inward being, therefore teach me wisdom in my secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain in me a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from bloodshed, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your deliverance. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you have no delight in sacrifice. If I were to give a burnt offering, you would not be pleased. The sacrifice acceptable to God is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, then you will delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Our second reading is from Matthew chapter 18, starting at verse 15. Jesus said, If another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. If the member listens to you, you have regained that one. But if you are not listened to, take one or two others along with you, so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If the member refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if the offender refuses to listen even to the church, let such a one be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you, if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, Not seven times, but I tell you, seventy-seven times.
I imagine all the readings we've heard this morning are familiar to many of us, if not all of us. The theme of forgiveness and confession and the challenges that go with that run through the sweep of Scripture. And so this morning's sermon comes with a little bit of a a health warning. The topic of forgiveness is really complicated. And ministers and churches can and do overstep their authority sometimes, hurting people in what they say about forgiveness, saying you must forgive this and you must forgive now and you must forgive in this way. Well, I'm not going to do that this morning. I'm absolutely not trying to tell anybody when or how you might respond to something that has caused you offence or hurt. There may be people who have suffered deep abuse, and who am I to speak into that context? And we just need to be aware, I think, that it's possible that as I share some thoughts this morning, it could stir up um, some powerful feelings or memories. It might be there are people who today are carrying with them the pain of something really awful and need gentle, loving support. It might be that as we go along, somebody thinks, oh gosh, you know, actually, I really ought to seek forgiveness for for whatever it was. Or maybe now is the time for me to forgive somebody. It could be something else. All I'm going to say is if you find yourself unsettled, if you find yourself distressed or disturbed, then please don't leave this morning without speaking to me or at least speaking to somebody else so that we can support and encourage and help each other. So what we're going to do to begin with is we're going to listen to a short, well, watch a video that comes from a North American context. It's relatively short, about four minutes. And as you listen to it, I just ask you to be alert to what strikes you. I'm not going to ask you about it. This is just for you. What strikes you, what, what you feel, what you think as, as you see and hear this story? If we can get the sound. We end tonight with one of the most potent powers on Earth. It can change lives in an instant. What has it? It's the power to forgive. Watch it now in action against Steve Hartman's Assignment America. In a small apartment building in North Minneapolis, a 59-year-old teacher's aide sings praise to God for no seemingly apparent reason. If anyone was to have issues with the Lord, it would be Mary Johnson. For all you've done for me, he never had a chance. In February 1993, Mary's son, Lorraine Bird, was shot to death during an argument at a party. He was 20, and Mary's only child. My son was gone. The killer was a 16-year-old kid named O'Shea Israel. I wanted justice. He was an animal. He deserved to be caged. And he was. Tried as an adult and sentenced to 25 and a half years, O'Shea served 17 before being recently released. He now lives back in the old neighborhood, close to Mary. This close. He lives next door. Next door. How a convicted murderer ended up living a door jam away from his victim's mother is a story not of horrible misfortune, as you might expect, but of remarkable mercy. A few years ago, Mary asked if she could meet O'Shea here at Minnesota's Stillwater State Prison. As a devout Christian, she felt compelled to see if there was some way, if somehow, she could forgive her son's killer. What'd she say to you? I believe the first thing she said was, look, you don't know me, I don't know you, let's just start with right now. That I was befuddled myself. O'Shea says they met regularly after that. When he got out, she introduced him to her landlord, who, with Mary's blessing, invited O'Shea to move into the building. Today, they don't just live close, they are close. Clearly, Mary was able to forgive. Unforgiveness is like cancer. It will eat you from the inside out. It's not about that other person. Me forgiving him does not diminish what he's done. Yes, he murdered my son. But the forgiveness is for me. It's for me. For O'Shea, it hasn't been that easy. I haven't totally forgiven myself yet. I'm learning how to forgive myself. And I'm still growing towards, you know, trying to forgive myself and what it is I've done. To that end, O'Shea is now busy proving himself to himself. 
He works at a recycling plant by day and goes to college by night. He says he's determined to pay back Mary's clemency by contributing to society. In fact, he's already working on it, singing the praises of God and forgiveness at prisons, churches, to large audiences everywhere. Forgiveness is a powerful thing. Which explains why Mary can sing her praise of thanks to her audience of one. Steve Hartman, CBS News, Minneapolis. All you've done for me. Thank you. So I'm guessing as we watched that video and, and as you listened and, and, and the story unfolded, all kinds of thoughts may have gone through your mind. And there might have been questions, might have been really tough searching questions. And I can't promise I'm going to respond to all of those, but hopefully what I'm going to share will touch something or prom promote some thinking of your own that is helpful. We know, you don't need me to tell you, that forgiveness lies at the heart of the Christian faith. We believe in a God who has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west, so the psalmist tells us. A God who consigns our sins to the depths of what I would call God's perfect forgettery. God promises to remember them no more. They're gone. But at the same time, we're all very human, aren't we? We all mess up sometimes. We miss the mark. As the very old confession prayer puts it, we have sinned against God and against our fellow human beings through ignorance, through weakness, through our own deliberate faults. Or perhaps as the Apostle Paul once put it, it seems to be one of those laws of the universe that the good I know I want to do and I know I ought to do, I just end up not doing. I do the bad that I don't want to do. I try so hard, but, you know, I just keep on messing up. Part of being human. And it seems to me that recognizing our human fallibility, our own ongoing need to be forgiven, perhaps over and over again for the same thing, is, is, is a good place to start. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everybody, every single person needs to be forgiven because every single person keeps on messing up and getting it wrong and making mistakes. So whatever I share this morning, I share as a sinner, as a person who messes up, who gets it wrong, a person who needs to forgive others and a person who needs to be forgiven over and over again. A person who needs to be forgiven by God repeatedly. And so we're all on an equal footing. Nobody is up here and somebody else down there. We're all on a level here. It's a level playing field. The first thing I want to say about forgiveness is it is very, very costly. Saying the words... I forgive you, might just take a couple of seconds. But the work of forgiveness will be long-term. We saw that in that video. It didn't happen overnight. It wasn't that she decided to forgive and wham, everything was perfect. It was a long process, very demanding. And I firmly believe that forgiveness is both an event and a process. It begins with a decision that says, yes, I choose to forgive. Or if you like, I choose to begin the work of forgiveness. And then it's a process that might take minutes, if you're lucky, days, months, years, even a lifetime and beyond. It's hard work and it's determined work. And I think that little thing of Jesus, how many times must I forgive? Seven times? Seems like a lot, doesn't it? No, 77 or... 70 times 7, depending which bit of tr Greek translation you use, is part of that. In other words, you have to keep on keeping on at this forgiving because we're all human and we still carry on messing up. So it's an ongoing process. And it's not easy. It's really not easy. The second thing I want to say is I think forgiveness is transformative. In the first draft of this sermon, I wrote down healing. That forgiveness is healing, because that's my experience. 
And then I thought, I shouldn't project my experience onto other people. I'm not the norm here any more than anybody else is. But I think it is fair to say that the work of forgiveness changes things. Perhaps it frees us from something that holds us back, frees us from bitterness, frees us from regret. Perhaps it offers hope in what might otherwise be a hopeless situation. Perhaps it's something else. But the idea that forgiveness and the work of forgiveness is a positive decision and a positive action that has the power to change things for the good. It's hard work, it may take a lifetime, but it's, it's hopeful, it's forward, it's upward, it it's, has the potential to free us, make us more whole, make us more healthy, maybe make us more happy. If the cross event, the story of the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ, is about God's forgiveness and redemptive purposes, then in that event, we find the ultimate example of the cost of forgiveness and the healing, liberating, transforming potential that it has. We remember Jesus on the cross saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And if Jesus was God, and if Jesus drew through his own agony and suffering all the pain, all the sorrow, all the suffering, and somehow God shared in that, that God didn't turn God's face away. I'm sorry, I have big issues with that hymn. God was watching. God saw the suffering of Jesus. And God, through that event, drew in all the pain and sorrow and suffering and hurt. And the forgiveness was the beginning of life in all its fullness. Abundant life, hopeful life. That's what is at the heart of our faith, this ability to turn away from the negative to the positive, to find renewed or new life. So who is it that we might need to forgive or by whom we might need to be forgiven? Well, I actually think the answer to this is found in the Great Commandment, or if you're Jewish, the Shema prayer. Love God with all your heart, all your soul, your strength, and your mind. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. I might let God down. I'm sure I do let God down. I might let my neighbor down, other people. Definitely do that. I might even let myself down. I'm not going to make jokes about balloon people. So I might need to be forgiven by God. I might need to be forgiven by other people. And sometimes I need to be forgiven by myself. And then if I turn it around, it may be the case that other people have let me down. Maybe it may even seem, heresy warning, God has let me down. We're not supposed to think like that, are we? But it can feel, you know, how, how did God do this? Why did not God act? Why did God not act in that context? Why was God silent when that person was suffering? Why didn't God act in Rwanda or Auschwitz or wherever it was? Perhaps we're guilty as a church of trying to make it too glib, too easy. You know, God forgives us, it's all fine, tralala. But actually sometimes we just don't understand. Sometimes, perhaps, if only for our own well-being, we have to forgive God. So Ian, you can tell the Baptist Union, they can strike me off, it's okay. Some things are kind of easy to forgive. Somebody bumps into you in the supermarket, you forgive and it's gone. Other things are really etched, aren't they, on your heart, on your mind. And we ask questions about forgiveness and what letting go might look like. When I was growing up, and there were four of us in three and a bit years, one of the things that my mum and dad used to constantly be saying to us when we squabbled was forgive and forget. Forgive and forget. And I think that was proportionate and appropriate. When you're just squabbling over who gets to ride on the one tricycle that you have between four of you, it's not a big issue. Just put it behind you and move on. But not everything is as easy to forgive as that. And we have to be realistic about it. 
Forgiving also sometimes should not include forgetting. There is a, a phrase that um, exists in various different quotations. I couldn't find the original one, but basically it says, those who forget their history, their past, are doomed to repeat it. We forget about Auschwitz and Rwanda at our peril. We forget about the Twin Towers at our peril. We forget about whatever it may be, these huge things at our peril because we risk repeating them. Um, I was watching the news this week and I was really struck. Um, when I was at school, we learned a lot about the way the English treated the Irish badly. I watched what's happening over the Brexit negotiations and it makes me a bit twitchy that we seem to have forgotten our own story. So it's not always easy to forgive, and sometimes it's really important that we don't forget, because if we forget, it allows bad things to happen again. And then there's a phrase I've heard used by lots of people, including some Christians, um, which I can honestly say I have never said. I have come close, and I've always pulled myself up from it. And that phrase is, that is unforgivable. That is unforgivable. Because that's a dangerous thing to say. If what the person saying that m means is, I am not able to forgive, and I may never be at a place where I can forgive, then I think that's okay. That's about them owning their inability to forgive. But if what it means is I or somebody else say, that is unforgivable, what you have done cannot be forgiven, then we set ourselves up as judge, jury, and executioner. We set ourselves in the place of God. Actually, only God has the right to say if something is or is not ultimately forgivable. And that's hard, isn't it? It's really hard. Because sometimes things really get to us so much that we actually don't want God to forgive it, thank you very much. We'd really rather that God smote them or zap them or something. We long to be loved and forgiven. And most of us, most of the time, want to be able to love and forgive those who have hurt us. But it isn't always possible. So I'd just like to offer a couple of thoughts in response to that. The one reason I think people find it difficult to forgive is that they think if they forgive, it means what happened didn't matter. If I f that, in the story we heard, if the woman had forgiven the boy who murdered her son, it meant that her son's murder didn't matter. And she was quite clear, it did matter. It absolutely mattered. Forgiveness does not mean denying responsibility. It doesn't override the need for justice and, where it's possible, reparation or restoration. I want to be very, very clear that violence, abuse, exploitation, coercion, trafficking and so on are really, really serious and need proportionate responses, which will include imprisonment, may include release on licence, and may include lifelong bans on the, the roles that people can take in relation to children or vulnerable adults. But at the same time, we believe in a God of mercy and grace who not only can, but does, redeem, forgive, and transform lives of people who have done terrible things. There are genuine, sincere people of Christian faith who will spend their entire lives behind bars for the crimes they have committed. Um, some of you occasionally have heard me use recordings of the Dartmoor Prison Choir. They're all lifers. They will never get out. But they have experienced a measure of forgiveness and the, the liberation of spirit that that gives to them. <coughs> so absolutely not saying that forgiveness means something doesn't matter. I'd actually say quite the opposite. It actually matters so much that the consequences have to be addressed so that everybody stands a chance of finding a measure of healing and wholeness. 
And then there's a second thought, um, and I couldn't find the source for this one. It was really annoying. Um, it's either L. Gregory Jones or Miroslav Volf. It's one of those two, and Ian will probably know. But whilst I was training for ministry, I was, did some reading in the area of forgiveness, and I came across what seemed to be an important understanding of forgiveness that sets it very much within the community of faith. And it's really helpful on the occasions or the days when perhaps we feel, do you know what, I can't do that. I cannot forgive that. I want to, but I'm not able to. And it runs something like this. I may not be able to forgive you for what you have done to me or my family or that your family did to my family or your faith community did to my faith community or whatever, but I am part of a faith tradition that believes in forgiveness and a God who forgives. And so as part of that tradition, I with others commit to the work of forgiveness. I may not be able to forgive whatever it was yet, but I believe in forgiveness. And I'm part of a tradition that says forgiveness is important and God forgives. And so together with others, I will commit to that work of forgiving and being forgiven. Naming what's wrong, seeking justice or reparation where those are needed, transforming and being transformed ever more into the likeness of the God who loves us enough to redeem all creation, no matter what the cost. Perhaps sometimes it is enough to say, I aspire to forgive. I long, if this is true, I long to forgive. I want to forgive. I will take the first step on that path to forgiving, even if right now, I can't do it. There's a lot of stuff in there, so I'm just going to invite you to take a moment or two quietly just to think, is there something that's touched you today? Is there something where you need to begin the work of forgiveness? Is there something you need to be forgiven for? Whatever it is, just a minute or two of, of quiet, and then I'm going to lead us in a prayer. Loving God, with you we look back over our lives. We remember the things we have done and the things that have been done to us. We remember the hurts we have caused and the hurts we have carried. We remember the things that we have taken from others and the things others have taken from us. We remember the plans we have had for our lives and our experience that so often life occurs as a sequence of random events. <coughs> Through a combination of choice and circumstance, we are not who we want to be and we are not who you want us to be either. So we come before you seeking mercy. We ask for the mercy of forgiveness for the things that we have done wrong. And we ask for the mercy of new life where we carry within us all the small deaths of disappointment, guilt, grief and injury. <coughs> Forgive us and renew us. Lord, have mercy. Amen. And we continue in an attitude of prayer as we sing together.
Let us pray. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have lo not loved our neighbours as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ. Have mercy on us and forgive us that we delight in your will and walk in your ways. We are praying for the Baptist Church at Lothamouse House today. This church is vacant and those who serve are keeping things going and at the moment they are seeking a new pastor and we trust that this will happen for them. And finally we pray for our own church family. We are delighted that Marit and Tom are part of our church and wish them both many blessings in their lives together. Alan has been a faithful part of our church for many years and done various things to support the working of our church and would ask thee to be with him in his daily living. And we pray for our own congregation and may we continue to be a church family. And these things we ask in thy name. Amen. Loving and generous God, accept these our gifts of money, accept our love, accept our skills, and accept our commitment to the work of forgiveness where that is needed. For all we offer you in the name of Christ. Amen. And so let's join in our closing hymn, which expresses so much of what we are about here at Hillhead. All are welcome. All are welcome in this place.
And may the God of forgiveness, mercy and love fill us with peace, surround us with love and lead us in the pathways of hope today and every day.